During the month of May on this podcast, I've been trying to feature Marian Pilgrimage. I was so happy to have received a book, Our Lady of Charity, How a Cuban Devotion to Mary Helped Me Grow in Faith and Love by Maria Morera Johnson. She's an author, and maybe you recognize some of her other titles, such as Supergirls and Halos and My Badass Book of Saints, both available from Ave Maria Press. Maybe you follow her on social media or or are familiar with her writings from Catholic Digest, St. Anthony Messenger, or other Catholic platforms that she's spoken on and been a writer for. So very happy and delighted to welcome Maria to the show. It's a pleasure to be here, Father. Thanks for asking me. And so your book here, Our Lady of Charity, is actually about a Cuban Marian devotion. And I was wondering, maybe there's a lot of people who are unfamiliar with it. Of course, there's a few different titles associated with this devotion. Some of them are affectionate titles that the people, the local people, might call Mary. But the more formal title is Nuestra Señora de la Caridad or uh, Nuestra Señora del Cobre. And so uh, perhaps maybe it would be beneficial just to explain a little bit about this Cuban Marian devotion. A lot of cultures, the Polish people have Our Lady of Chestahova, the Latino people have Our Lady of Guadalupe down in Mexico. And so there's lots of times uh, a very cultural devotion to Mary, which this is the case with Our Lady of Charity. And it's a very beautiful story that you introduce readers to. And maybe for our listeners, just to give a, a brief snapshot of the devotion to Our Lady of Charity. Oh, sure. It's it's really such a beautiful devotion because it, like most devotions to Mary, they, they, they're grassroots, you know. It's, she comes to the, to the most needy people and the most humble people, and, uh, and that's the case of Our Lady of Charity. Um, in the early 1600s and the, on the easternmost uh, point of the island of Cuba, uh, there was a, a copper mine uh, that was... Uh, you know, utilized to, of course, to mine the copper. Um, but, you know, in those in those years, there was slavery, and so there were African slaves that were working in these mines. And uh, Cuba had recently, um, you know, in the last hundred years, been occupied by the Spanish, and so there was the indigenous population in Cuba as well. And so the story goes that one day there were two uh, Native American, uh, probably Taino, young men who were going to go gather salt in in the bay of Nipe, and they brought along with them a very young, maybe 10 years, maybe 12-year-old African boy and uh, to teach him how to mine or, or how to gather the salt. And while their canoe was out in the bay of Nipe, a storm came up and they became very frightened. And uh, because these, these young men and, and, and boy had been catechized by the Spanish um, maybe Franciscans, maybe Dominicans. Um, they do who the Blessed Mother was, and they called upon the Blessed Mother to save them. And uh, and the storm abated, and they were safe. And when the waters calmed, there was a little statue that was kind of you know beating up against the side of their canoe. And when they pulled it out of the water, they found this particular image of the Blessed Mother lashed onto a board with with a you know with a with a handwritten note on it that said you know I I am you know the lady of charity and so they took this image back certain that um, that it was the blessed mother who had interceded for their safety and uh, they built a little uh, a little uh, 
I don't know, a, a, a small chapel for, for Our Lady. They call it an ermita. And the locals began to venerate Our Lady under this, under this title of Our Lady of Charity. And the devotion grew. And it grew so much that it was eventually brought into the, the compound at the copper mine. And then from there it was moved to the cathedral. And then from, from the cathedral, the, the devotion grew from east to west across the island. Um, so it's a beautiful story about how, you know, in, in the stormiest night of our lives, we can always turn to the Blessed Mother, and, and she, will, she will send her aid to us. It is a very beautiful story, which really relates the maternal presence of Mary, her favor for her children. What, what's striking, of course, is that she comes and rescues them from the storm. Now, this isn't a Marian apparition like we would think of Fatima or Lourdes. It's a devotional image. Mary didn't appear and give a message, but this statue just kind of appears. It, well, it, I guess you could say probably falls out of the sky. Maybe it's there in the water, and <laughs> you know nobody knows. It's kind of this this very peculiar experience that they have, but now it's one that's remained with the Cuban people for, for many centuries. There's the title of Mary, Our Lady Star of the Sea, which was a, a nautical devotion that we talked about actually on the second episode of How They Love Mary and how the sailor would look up to the star and call out to Mary asking for her intercession. Now, why is it these three young men, and in your book, oftentimes people will call them the three Juans, kind of just a generic name for them, but why do you think that they would have called out for Mary's intercession instead of Jesus? Of course, this is some of the controversy, some of the things that people will say about Marian devotion in the Catholic Church, that instead of going to Christ, people will go to the Blessed Mother. And so, and maybe you don't have an answer for this, and that's all right, but why do you think they might have just simply called upon Mary's intercession? Well, I think that Mary is a very powerful image for all of us. I mean, when we're when we're little children and we fall and, and hurt our you know hurt our knees, we call for our moms. You know, we call for for mommy, and and so I I would imagine that it's very similar to them. These are matriarchal societies. Uh, a, a lot of the African cultures, um, I think, are in many cases matriarchal, and and so there was already this understanding of of motherhood as a powerful as a powerful um, symbol for them. And, you know, also the Spaniards were very devoted to the Blessed Mother. And so it would make sense that in the course of their evangelization and their catechesis, that they would get to know the Blessed Mother um, as, a, as, a, as a very strong image for them as part of their learning, but also as they grew in their faith as a very strong image for their devotion. Um, it, I don't know this authoritatively, but I think I, I kind of feel this, you know, as a as a believer myself, that that the image of Our Lady as our mother, as our mommy, um, is very powerful. The very first chapter of the book is Mary rescues us from the storm, and of course that's the recounting of how Mary rescues them, the three Juans from the storm. But also, as you mentioned earlier, kind of in our own life, there are storms. And I was just wondering, perhaps, if there's a story in your own life, from your own experience, that you could say that Mary rescued you from some sort of storm that you were facing. Oh, gosh, that's such a beautiful question, because um, it, it really is an ongoing rescue. I find that Mary is my number one intercessor. You know, we all learned the memorari when we were children. 
um, you know, that we turn to her and we stand before her and she never fails us. And so um, I, I think that as an understanding of our own faith, um, this particular title of Mary um, kind of goes very closely, I think, with, with the memorari prayer that she's there for us in, in all of our turmoil. And, and so who else to turn to but Mary, who always turns us towards her son. So, you know, in the end, he is our savior. Um, but she's certainly there to help guide us and to be that first, that first tier of intercession for us. Who, you know, she'll, she'll take us by the hand and, and take us where we need to go. You talked a little earlier about catechesis, that the people definitely would have known about Mary. And this image that of Our Lady of Charity has Our Lady in one hand, she's holding the Christ child. In the other hand, she has the cross. And you write that this is really a catechetical image that as they went about then later, as people saw the image of Mary, well, they began to connect Mary as mother of God, Mary as the mother of Jesus, who is our Savior, but also the cross. So also foreshadowing that cross that the infant Christ later in his adult years would die upon. And, uh, you know, this image of catechesis is one that's very prevalent, I think, in a lot of Marian apparitions. We see this especially in Guadalupe when Mary appears to Juan Diego and imprints this miraculous image of the tilma. Well, it's Mary dressed as an Aztec goddess, and she's able to address the people and speak to them in a different way than perhaps if she would have come in a different fashion. And so... I guess thinking of Mary as a teacher then, a teacher especially through this own devotion as people see the image and learn this story, uh, what are different ways that Mary has taught you something in your life or how can this devotion to Our Lady of Charity teach us as devotees of the Blessed Mother? Oh, yes. Well, um, you know, I've I've often heard uh, that um, if we love Jesus first, then we develop a love for his mother. Um, and if we learn about Mary and develop a love for Mary that she will immediately introduce us to her son. So, so the two are, are so closely related as, as a mother and child are that it's a beautiful uh, source of catechesis for us, but it's also a, a really magnificent avenue for, for us really to understand the salvation history um, that we see in this particular image with, with, the, with the babe, with the incarnation, and with the passion in, in the cross. And so I came to my relationship with the Lord through Mary, because this was an image that was always in my life. This was an image that I saw in my family. It was in our home. Um, you know, when we went to, when we visited places, for example, I, I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, but, you know, we made many trips to Miami where my grandparents were. And so this was an image of Mary that was seen in almost all of the churches and in many of the places of business who would have a little statue or maybe a little picture or, you know, so many holy cards of her. And so I, I really came into my faith as an adult, I think, through Mary. And uh, in fact, I learned about that so well that I was able to successfully, you know, make a consecration to Jesus through Mary, because she has been for me my avenue uh, to to find the Lord. And, um, you know, at various times in my life when I've turned to her um, in prayer, I've learned to develop a, a deeper prayer life with, with her as a guide. And so... Um, she is. She is certainly my mother, and 
and she has certainly instilled in me an understanding to listen and do what her son tells me to. Of course, in Cuba, where this Marian devotion really flourished, where it took place, there's a shrine that has been built to house the statue of Our Lady that pilgrims go to. Even the Holy Fathers have made pilgrimage there. And I guess one of the things that struck me about the story is, isn't there something more or less that they would have the statue in one village and then somehow it would end up in the other village and it was kind of like it was going back and forth and it, kind of this story of uh, the transfer in, a, in some sense of the statue but how it was kind of miraculous, how it would move from one place to the other. Is, is that a true story? And, and, and maybe what's the background of that? <laughs> is it a true story? Is it a legend? Uh, I think it's probably a little bit of both. Um, I'm sure that I'm sure that the indigenous peoples wanted to keep her for them, for themselves. And, um, and the, the church officials who saw the strength of this uh, growing devotion wanted, wanted to place her in a, in a more, maybe appropriate, it's not the right word, but into a larger kind of chapel. And so um, the original little hut that served as the first little shrine created for for the statue by uh, by the three Juans, by the, the two brothers. One was named Juan, and uh, the African boy was named Juan as well. And so they they took away Diego's name and made him the third Juan. But um, it, the story goes that the shrine was the first place for, for the veneration of the statue. And then as, as time passed by, it was moved into the copper mines, into the hospital at the copper mines, and then eventually into the uh, cathedral in El Cobre in Santiago. And um, at that point, uh, you know, a hundred years had passed and, and even a little more time had passed and the cathedral had burned down and they thought that it would be appropriate to actually build a church to to house the statue. But in all of those years, every time the, the statue was taken into the big town, it would disappear and go back into the people, into the little humble hut. Um, and so the the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say, is that while they have built this beautiful basilica in, in El Cobre for the statue, um, in the last couple of years, uh, even under the, the communist regime, a smaller chapel has been built in the area where uh, the statue originated, and um, a replica of, of that statue is there now kind of as an homage to, to the origin of the story. Is it legend? Is it true? Was the statue really disappearing in the night and appearing other places wet? Um, you know, that's, that's 400 years of, I, I don't know. So much of our faith is filled with these stories that are embellished and, and, uh, but they have a root truth in them. And so that's, that's probably what happened. I suppose if the statue just appeared miraculously in the water, there's nothing to say that that didn't happen as the story's been handed down. Now, part of your book uh, is... That oh, I do believe. That that I sure. do believe that, yes, the statue definitely appeared miraculously to them. And in fact, the, the historical records of the church do reflect uh, the interviews that were conducted. Um, and so there was a formal investigation into the apparition of the statue. Um, but um, all of the other stories surrounding it are stuff of legend. Part of your book is the recounting of your own pilgrimage to Our Lady of Cobre, to uh, Our Lady of Charity, to the shrine there. 
And you actually went at a time when the Holy Father was going to be in Cuba. Now, of course, having this devotion, seeing this image of Our Lady of Charity for many years in your own life, and then finally being able to go to the original place, I'm sure was a very powerful and moving experience. And so I was wondering maybe if you could share a few things about that pilgrimage. Maybe the first would be, how did you prepare spiritually to go on a pilgrimage, to go to this place that has a lot of meaning for your family's Marian devotion? And and secondly, what was your impression of the shrine as you arrived there and uh, and really your takeaways from the pilgrimage? Oh, my goodness. Well, it was it was such an amazing story. I had left Cuba almost 50 years to the day that um, that I returned. Um, so that, for me, was already uh, an amazing story. My uncle happens to be the bishop of Olguin, where the, the statue appeared first, where it was found in the bay. And um, he invited the family that is in the United States to join him during the Pope's um, apostolic visit to Cuba because he wanted to have his family present. So my, my mom and her sisters... And, and I traveled to Cuba, and then uh, his brother, who who was in Havana, joined us in Olguin um, to to celebrate with him and to celebrate with the Cuban people the Pope's visit. And uh, as a matter of course, I had just written my badass book of saints, and it was coming out very shortly. And and my publisher had very graciously provided me an advanced copy of the book so that I could take to my uncle's um, in Cuba. And so I had this this book in my backpack to give to them, and uh, but we were kind of caught up in the masses that were happening, um, and and we actually had an audience with Pope Francis um, at, at you know at my uncle's cha- at the chancery, and um, at no point did I think that we would make it down to uh, Santiago and down to Old Colbre to go to the Basilica. I, I really didn't think so because we were there for the Pope's visit in his stop in Old King. And then the rest of the trip was going to turn into, um, a family trip to, to reconnect with, with family. And, uh, we just didn't know if the logistics were going to work out for us to make it to the Basilica. And as it happened, um, very last minute, we were told that there would be a church van available to take us down there. Uh, we would not be able to make it in time for the Mass that the Pope was celebrating there, but that we would be able to join um, my uncle there and then begin our family part of the trip. And so when we arrived, uh, we were just told to wait. Um, There's a seminary there, and so we were you know, invited to to, to cool off a little bit in, in, in the, at the seminary. And then when my uncle returned, we had uh, a nice luncheon with the bishops in Cuba. And then from there, um, the rector of the basilica said, well, let's, let's go on up and, and I'll open the doors for you. And so it, it was a shock to me. The whole thing just happened so quickly that there really wasn't any, any way to prepare um, for that moment other than... Uh, you know, when you ask when you ask Jesus for something, you know the return is big sometimes, and this was enormous. And so we went up and we had a nice private tour of the basilica. And I remember we walked in through the the, the vesting area, the um, the sacristy, and uh, the rector pointed out St. John Paul II's vestments from when he had celebrated Mass there. 
And so I was just, you know, just in awe to be in this place. And because we had entered through the sacristy, we came out onto the altar. And um, and I remember seeing first my, my uncle's response and then, and then really just being overwhelmed with the enormity of it. Because Pope Francis has such a Marian devotion, they had brought the statue down from from its encasement up high above the altar, and they had brought it down to the altar. And they had not had time to put it back in its, in, in, in its place of honor, and so it was in the ultimate place of honor. It was right there on the altar. And so we had a family rosary that my uncle led with us, um, you know, before the statue, which was really quite magnificent. And, uh, and then we walked around the Basilica a little bit. I took some pictures. So I was just uh, in, in immense awe of being, you know, in, in, the, in the presence of, of so much history, really. Um, you know, we knew that we were there before the Lord. We knew that we were there um, with this original statue. And uh, I kind of shyly asked the rector if I could leave a gift and uh, and he said, you know, please by all means. And so I I had a copy of my book with me, and I and I laid it at the at the foot of the altar, and um, and I kind of walked away and 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 knelt in, in beside uh, the the little altar rail that was left there. And and when I was done, I I got up and uh, asked the rector if I needed to clean up after myself because I felt a little awkward just leaving something there. Um, on the altar, and he says, "Oh no!" He says, "I will collect it and and I'll file it and document it as a gift to Our Lady, and it'll go in the basement with the with the other gifts that have been you know brought over the years. Um, and it's you know it's really cool because it's down there next to <clears throat> Ernest Hemingway's Nobel Prize for Literature that he also dedicated to Our Lady of Charity um, from uh, The Old Man in the Sea. So who knew?" <laughs> It's just a, a, a stunning experience for me. And uh, I think that the most beautiful part of it all was the, that the journal that I kept throughout that, that trip um, really became this, this book about my devotion to Our Lady of Charity. You mentioned Ernest Hemingway having a devotion to Our Lady of Charity. And I know from my own study of Thomas Merton that in, uh, in his book, The Seven-Story Mountain and The Sign of Jonas, he talks about his own pilgrimage to Cobre of visiting Our Lady there and how he wanted to dedicate his priesthood to Our Lady of Cobre. Now, with kind of the travel ban to Cuba lifted now uh, for American citizens, they could actually go on pilgrimage to the shrine, couldn't they? Oh, yeah, I think they could. And, in fact, um, you're familiar with the Camino of Santiago, right? Yes. The, uh, the pilgrimage. Um, there is a Camino of La Virgen where uh, they you can walk in the footsteps of, of, uh, of where the, the statue was found um, and where the first uh, ermita was built, the first um, little chapel, uh, all the way on down to uh, to the basilica. So it's really uh, a really neat thing. I did not walk it. I traveled it by car, um, but it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful pilgrimage in, it, in itself. There has been a lot of immigration from Cuba and to the United States, and maybe one of those hubs has been Miami, and I think that there's a shrine to Our Lady of Charity there as well. Is that right? Yes, correct. Yes, it was built uh, in the, started in the 1960s by Bishop Agustin Roman, 
And uh, I think it, it was finished in the very early 70s. I, I want to say 1972, but I could be off. And I think that's a beautiful thing that from the devotion of the people that have come to the States, that they wanted to have this place of prayer so that they could honor a lady of charity. I think maybe that's something that's missing from our American, our United States picture of devotion to the Blessed Mother, that really there isn't this cultural devotion to Mary that we have as Catholics, one that unites people of all 50 states, whereas there are different Marian shrines throughout the country. For example, down in New Orleans is uh, Our Lady of Prom Succor, which is a very popular Marian devotion down there. And up here where I live in Green Bay, there's a shrine of a Marian apparition, an approved apparition to Our Lady. But there isn't this uniting Marian devotion that all Americans say, we are devoted to Our Lady under this title. And so I think it's very beautiful to see these cultures that do have that because it is a unifying factor. They say, I want to come together and I want to be devoted and honor Our Lady uh, with you in this way. And so, um, yeah, it's something that we as uh, people in the United States are probably missing out on in terms of our Marian devotion. Well, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I think that I think that uh, the question that you ask at the end of your podcast about, you know, which title of Mary are you drawn to? Um, they're all Mary. Yes, that's and, right. And so, you know, so so that is the devotion. Um I think that we are pulled in, in the direction of, of those titles that, that most appeal to us, kind of like, you know, the way that our moms are all very different. You know, in our relationship, my relationship with my mother is not the same as your relationship with your mother. And and so I think that, you know, the beginning for us is that we're all devoted to the Blessed Mother in some in some way. Um I think a lot of the reason why I, I love this devotion is because of the name charity, which means love. And, um, and so I think that it's a, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful devotion to introduce to anyone. It's not just, you know, for, for Cubans. In fact, you know, we were talking about the, the, uh, the shrine in Miami. Um, Monsignor Roman's uh, motivation for building the shrine was to offer consolation to the Cubans who were there as exiles, who had left in those early years of the communist regime and found themselves homeless and in exile. And so his his push for, for building that chapel was to offer this, this place that was home um, for these Cubans. But in the last decade, um, in my visits to Miami, which is no longer, I mean, Miami may be known as a hub of, of, of you know, huge Cuban migration, but it's it's a gateway to Latin America. So there are Dominicans and Puerto Ricans and Colombians and Venezuelans, you know, recently so many Venezuelans. And they all find uh, some consolation at that shrine because it was built for exile. It was built as a home for those people feeling that they're in exile. And, you know, Father, aren't we all kind of in exile on Earth waiting for our reunion in, in paradise? Definitely. So, um, so I thought, yeah, that's that's a beautiful image for me to share with everyone, because I think it, it could speak to, to those of us who maybe feel uh, exiled or, or homeless or, or yearning for some kind of connection to to each other. At the end of the rosary, when we pray the Hail Holy Queen, we recognize that we are exiles mm-hmm. here below. And so that is a prayer that we say and pray exactly. and and the reality of all of us. And 
That's the beauty of any Marian shrine. It's like we're going to our mother's house, no matter the no matter the devotion mm-hmm. to Our Lady. It's it's as you said, the Blessed Mother, and so so we're always going to our mother's home. So it's been great to talk about Our Lady of Charity with you, and I'd like to maybe go through now and establish your own Marian profile with a lot of the different questions that that help us to do that to see that. Everybody's Marian devotion is unique and and what we can learn from one another. You already alluded to this earlier, but how about your favorite title of the Blessed Mother? <laughs> well, I have to say that it's Katita. <laughs> it's Our Lady of Charity, for sure. Yes, and I knew that was kind of a silly question because cause this whole book is a testament uh, to the fact that that is your favorite <laughs> title of Our Lady. And in the book, you also mentioned that you were a, a sacramental, a medal of Our Lady of Charity. Are there any other sacramentals that you, that are close to your heart? Oh, sure. Well, um, I also have a, a medal, a, a miraculous medal um, that I wear since my consecration to Jesus through Mary. And the rosary, oh my goodness, the rosary. I, I am a retired uh, college professor, and I think that some people are surprised to know that I teach um, with a rosary in my pocket, um, kind of holding on for dear life to both Mary and Jesus and in the in the corpus on the on the cross, because you know I just want to make sure that what I'm teaching is 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 striking the right spot, and so that that was for me a very meaningful sacramental as well. How about a favorite Marian prayer? A favorite Marian prayer. I uh, find myself in turmoil these days a lot, and so the Memorari has been my go-to. In fact, I do the, uh, have you heard of um, uh, Mother Teresa of Calcutta's emergency novena? Yes, the The nine Memoraries and the tenth and Thanksgiving. (laughs) And the tenth and Thanksgiving. (laughs) That has been my go-to far too many times, I think, in these last couple of years. When people pray the rosary, they often say maybe they get distracted, they find it monotonous or repetitive. Is there anything that has helped you in your own rosary praying? Any tips that you might be able to offer? Oh, yeah. I find I find myself um, uh, giving this advice to, to people who ask me, um, particularly because I'm a proud new grandma um, of, of, a, of a little grandson. And uh, I remember my own children, you know, when they're supposed to be doing something and all you do is just kind of tap them or or turn their face a little bit to get them refocused on what they're supposed to be doing. Um, I find that when I get distracted in the rosary and for whatever reason, I decide to start in the middle of a decade, decide to formulate my grocery list. I stop and just take a deep breath and start again. Uh, Mary is a kind mother and a sweet mother, and she just redirects me back to where I need to be. How about a favorite Marian Bible passage? Ah, that's an easy one, because I belong to this organization here in Mobile, Alabama, called Daughters of Mary, and I think they have some uh, scattered throughout Texas, too. Um, And as part of our program, I meet with them weekly, um, is that we pray the Magnificat together. And so for me, it's a beautiful reaffirmation of... Mary's yes, her example of how to give a yes, and also the yeses that I give throughout the day and and my life, really, to our Lord. Uh, So that's definitely my favorite. As we think about the Magnificat, too, that comes when Mary visits her cousin Elizabeth, and 
And uh, so Mary says yes to visit her cousin after she knows what's happening in her life. But really, as we talk about Our Lady of Charity, this is a place in which Mary shows great love, where she is the woman of charity as she visits her cousin Elizabeth. So kind of very fitting, I think, with your devotion to Our Lady of Caridad. How about a favorite Marian apparition? Mary has appeared all throughout the world. Is there one Marian apparition that you seem to have a fondness for? I, I, well, believe it or not, I've just recently been learning about the one in, in Wisconsin, but uh, I, I've made a promise to myself that I will make a pilgrimage to Guadalupe. Um, when I left Cuba in the early 1960s, we left Cuba through Mexico to the United States, and uh, we, were, we were in Mexico for several months uh, waiting for our entry visa to the United States. And um, so I've always wanted to come back uh, to to Mexico City and to visit Our Lady of Guadalupe there. I feel like she was definitely instrumental in helping to get us out of Cuba. Besides Marian apparitions, as you know, there are shrines all throughout the world dedicated to devotion to Mary. Our Lady of Charity is one of those Marian shrines throughout the world. But is there one maybe in the States or somewhere else, a Marian shrine that you have a, a fondness for? Oh, every time I go to Miami, I definitely go to the Ermita de la Caridad, which is the shrine um, for Our Lady of Charity there. Um, and I'm so close to um, New Orleans that I think I'm going to have to make a, a little pilgrimage there. Um, so today has been very instructional for me. Um, so I'm open to any any pilgrimage that has to do with Mary. I'm on it. A person that has written a book recently about Mary and pilgrimage, one I'd recommend is Marge Fenlon's uh, Mary, My Queen, My Mother, in which she spotlights nine different Marian shrines and her own pilgrimage, her prayer, and really telling their story. So that's a lot of Marian shrines, but yet it's only a small fraction of all of them in the States. So maybe that'll provide uh, a play. Uh, maybe that book will be a reference to help you plan some Marian pilgrimages. She does spotlight Our Lady of Prom Sucker in that one, so it might be. Uh... I, I have, in fact, I have it. I have it. Uh, it, it arrived yesterday, and um, I can't wait to dig into it and, and be offering my own review. Um, and I guess it's going to be my new roadmap for sure. So thanks for that, Marge. Now, there are lots of Marian books out there. Some of them have been very influential in the lives of the saints, like St. Louis de Montfort's True Devotion to Mary has impacted many different people. Is there a Marian book that kind of struck you, that helped you to deepen your Marian devotion? Uh, Actually, uh, I'd like to mention two. Uh, The first one is The Read of God, and I find that every time I, I think I've bought maybe five copies of that book um, in the last dozen years or so. Um, And I always seem to be reading it on an airplane. And the person next to me always seems to be reading over my shoulder and I give it to them. Um, So that has kind of turned into this strange little accidental ministry of just giving it away. Um, But in terms of a really uh, moving book for me, I I think it's Father Gately's 33 Days to Morning Glory. I had attempted... uh, the consecration to Jesus through Mary several times before, and uh, I, I hit the jackpot with this book, and I was able to to complete it um, beautifully with uh, with with that book. Many people have read Thirty Three Days to Morning Glory, and it's been a uh, very impactful, as you mentioned. 
really kind of makes Marian consecration accessible. So presenting it through the lens of four different saints as he talks about Maximilian Kolbe and Mother Teresa and John Paul II and St. Louis de Montfort himself. In our Catholic tradition, there are lots of different Marian hymns that a person might sing on a Marian feast day. Is there one that maybe after one of those Marian celebrations you find yourself humming? Oh, absolutely. And it doesn't even have to be a Marian celebration. Uh, I went to Catholic school. I was a good, good, good little girl and I sang in the choir and I played the guitar at the masses and I find myself humming Immaculate Mary at the most random times. But I think it is uh, just a, I don't know, just a little comforting, kind of like meatloaf for the soul. That is a very beautiful hymn of Our Lady. If you go to Lourdes, they have their own version of it. They'll call the Lourdes hymn or even Fatima has their own version of it. So it's one that is sung by so many people all throughout the world on a daily basis, really. As we finish up today, as we talk about Our Lady of Charity, how a Cuban devotion to Mary helped me grow in faith and love, where might people pick up this book, and how can they learn more about you? Oh, thanks. Well, um, I would encourage folks to uh, patronize their local Catholic bookstore if they have it. Um, if not, it's certainly available on Amazon or at Barnes & Noble, and you, know, you can always go to AveMariaPress.com and order it there. Um, and you can find me at MariaMJohnson.com, which is my website where I blog and I you know, post about upcoming events. Um, but I'd love for you to follow me on Twitter at Bego, B-E-G-O, uh, or Facebook or Instagram at Bego Johnson. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy to be your friend on, on those social media platforms. And can, maybe can you just tell us, Bego, where's that come from? <laughs> I am named for another title of Mary, Our Lady of Begonia, which is um, a Basque devotion from the region of Guipuscoa in Spain, where um, St. Ignatius of Loyola is from. And uh, so maybe I'll be writing about Our Lady of Begonia very soon. Well, if you do, or maybe I'm... I'll come back and talk about that that uh, that devotion. <laughs> yes, if you do find yourself writing a book about it, I can't wait to read it and to see how that devotion unfolds and what the story is and what it means for our own life. I really think, as you captured in Our Lady of Charity, you share a lot about Marian devotion in your own life, different teachings about Mary, and all interconnected within this uh, umbrella of Our Lady of Charity and this Cuban devotion to Mary. So a very beautiful book. I highly recommend people to check it out. A special thanks to our guest, Maria Morera Johnson, for joining us today to talk about her book, Our Lady of Charity. Also a special thanks to Anna Nuzo for the music that we've heard throughout this podcast. You've been listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary. I hope and pray it has either been the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. You can follow me, Father Edward Looney, on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Fr Edward Looney, L-O-O-N-E-Y. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd encourage you to leave a review on whatever platform that you're listening to it on, or if you haven't already, subscribe to it on podcasts on Apple or on Stitcher, Google Play, or whatever platform you listen on. Until next week, let us remain united in prayer to Jesus through Mary. God bless.